Hello, welcome to Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and on this program I take you on a Canadian art tour, starting here on Amherst Island and going beyond. Every episode we visit a different studio and talk to artists and artisans about their work, their beginnings, and more. We'll update cjai.ca slash studio stories with images of or links to our guests' work and sites, so be sure to take a look. Hey Mark, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. I'm here in uh, Wellington in Prince Edward County at Mark Armstrong's Glassworks. Yep. And Mark, can you tell people who aren't familiar with your work what you do? What I do? Uh, I guess I'm a glassblower or some of the work I guess isn't blown, but I guess so. some people would say a hot glass artist because I'm working with molten glass that is in a furnace, basically in a crucible. Um, I always have a furnace running full of molten glass, uh, and I make bowls, vases, perfume bottles, I guess mostly decorative pieces, but certainly are also functional pieces. Glass blower in the traditional sense. Yeah. And how did you, how do you get started glass blowing? By accident. Um, well, I did half a degree in architecture um, at university. I grew up with a father that was a mason by trade, so I was exposed to a lot of hands-on stuff, found that architecture desk work was a little too boring, wanted more hands-on. Grew up in Burlington, Sheridan College in Oakville, which was close by, has what's called the School of Crafts and Design. At that time, I think there was half a dozen different studios, which were basically different materials. Um, I enrolled to become a fine furniture maker or woodworker because I had grown up with a father that had done a lot of that. And first semester there at that time, if you wanted to actually get a diploma, you had to take one of the other studios or materials as an elective. This is my first semester elective, 30, yeah, going on 32 years ago. So, and it was an elective and here you are. Yeah, but there is a little twist to that, that I said I grew up in the Burlington, well, grew up in Burlington, but all my family going back, I think about five generations, something like that, is from the Burlington-Hamilton area. Hamilton was a major center for glassmaking in Canada at one time, and an aunt doing some genealogy found going back into the 1800s that, uh, at least by marriage certificate, that uh, I had some relatives that by occupation listed as glassblowers. So whether that was actually in the factories in Hamilton or over in Europe, don't know for sure. But um, so, yeah, just skipped a few generations. Nice, nice. So, but yeah, it's in your, it's in your blood. Yeah, it's in yeah. your blood. Well, how do you get from there to here? Uh, how did I get from there to here uh, initially? And I think how a lot of glass blowers work because there's not a lot of ads in the newspaper for glass blowers that um, we tend to go from from being in school to maybe transitioning to a there were at that time a couple of sort of public studios harbor front in toronto right. would be one that a lot of people know sort of a transition studio or i had worked out of a northern glass blowers private shop similar to mine and then while I was working there, I started working as an assistant to somebody else, sort of helping them doing, I don't want to say grunt work, but sort of almost almost like an apprenticeship, even though there isn't a formal right. apprenticeship program. Um, to then I had, 
uh, a friend that, or he was actually a technician in uh, um, Glass Studio at Sheridan College, who actually had bought a, a place down in the county here and had a five-year plan of moving down here and setting up a glass studio and just happened to be that he asked me if I wanted to come along out to the county back in 19, that was back in 1993, and to set up a glass shop. So I sort of followed him out here to set up a glass shop. He got out of the business, I think it was in 2002, and I'm still sort of plugging away. So yeah, and as I said, most glass blowers, I think the ideal scenario is a lot of us or most of us dream of having your own shop, mm -hmm. but the financial investment initially and the time and energy is generally cost prohibitive to right. most glass makers. So they do tend to maybe start out at another shop or just sort of a few baby steps along the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I can't even, you got how many ovens going there? Ah, uh, well, there's two. I mean, we had three in the other shop. I mean, with two people, it was a little bit bigger, but there's roughly, I mean, if you want to go out and buy the furnace that's running all the time, it's roughly, I think I just priced them close to about 30,000 Canadian um, to begin yeah. with. Each one of the cooling ovens is about five grand, uh, yeah. the, right? That's prohibitive. Uh, it, it can be, and the flip side of it is, at least my generation of glass makers, most of us learned how to make all our own equipment, one, to suit our own needs, but two, just for viability cost-wise. Right. Um, it's The nature of it has seemed to have changed a little bit where it's more about going out and purchasing equipment, but at that, there's a lot more pressure about having to produce, 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 and right. sell, sell, sell. And so you made some of these? Uh, or initially? Uh, actually, initially, in so... It, Interestingly enough, actually, I'm not sure if you noticed on the floor in the shop there, there was actually a mold in process for actually making a new furnace because they do wear out. Right. Um, so, yeah, over the course of my sort of glass making career, I think I've made is it three or four new furnaces. This one, I actually, I guess I had a hand in making this, but not for this shop. It's a weird roundabout way, but... So actually both of these pieces of equipment, because when my partner got out of the business, we just sort of sold off equipment, et cetera, et cetera. I purchased this equipment used and am looking at rebuilding. Neat. But yep, yeah, gotta be a little bit of a jack of all trades. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. yeah. Certainly not <laughs> me. And you said there's not really uh, apprentices in, in glass blowing but do you take on assistance i started out my career with yes a little bit and then no and then actually i'm just delving back into it i right. mean it brings about its own problems issues and benefits of having an assistant there's work that i can't or won't do by myself because it's just physically is is too hard too tricky to be able to do some certain techniques, et cetera, et cetera, where you really do need... Too many hands. Sort of, yeah, exactly. Um, by the same token, sometimes um, blowing glass can be a little bit um, off the cuff as far as looking at the quality of glass that's coming out of the furnace over the course of the day or the next day, your best laid plans um, may not end up being what you want them to be. Right. So. I've always felt a bit of a, um, a commitment to any assistant that I've had. Um, 
So pros and cons to both. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I think uh, any artist, craftsperson too, it's always, it's tricky to make a living yourself, let mm -hmm. alone trying to... Pay someone else as well. Yeah. 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 So, Absolutely. Uh, and just feel that, as I said, I feel a commitment to anybody that I employ. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I Yeah. And I can't, uh, it is solo work. Like it... You, you spend a lot of your time, it's you and the glass and the yeah, oven, but, but it must be quite different to have someone in. To uh, I mean, it is, and I, I'm sure it's probably like anything, and this is where I think it has changed too. I mean, when I learned how to blow glass at Sheridan College, you learned how to pretty much do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. But the European tradition in history is to do it in teamwork, where... Uh, so you watch me make that little tumbler. Um, the maestro or the gaffer, the guy with the most experience, would be the guy sitting on the bench. There would have been somebody that would have brought, and you saw me get that rod with a little bit of glass to stick on the end. Mm -hmm. um, that's called a punty or pontal rod. Um, that's almost sort of the low guy on the totem pole's job to make that punty and bring it. Normally, I mean, in Europe... I mean, that's how they may have three or four guys make that one little cup that I made. Right. Right, and each one just have a very specific job. The way to learn in North America now is more the European way. So that it's changed. It has changed as far as an education goes. And some of that has gone because there isn't the time um, available with equipment mm -hmm. um, or furnaces in the, in the educational system. So they have to pair up. Yeah. But it is also, I guess, I mean, it is certainly a much more relaxed and, and maybe not as frenetic way to work, too, right? Because it's not as timing-oriented as I've got to make sure every little step along the way is with some pieces that I do within a second, right? right. And um, maybe you can explain a little bit about... I was just watching Mark uh, make a tumbler, and maybe you can just talk a little bit about the timing and the temperature and the... Yeah, I mean, so I sort of say to people that, I mean, glass blowing is... I mean, really, all it is is just dealing with time and temperature and having the piece, the right temperature at the right time. Because the scenario is the glass always has to be hot enough well, if it gets too cold, it's going to crack and break. Roughly, I'm going to say ballpark 900 to 1,000 degrees. If it gets colder than that, um, at least with the glass that I work, it's going to crack and break, left out at, at room temperature. So it's a matter of having it hot enough to be able to manipulate and do what you want it to do, but also keep it cold enough in spots um, that it doesn't necessarily move, right? Um, because usually most pieces are done uh, in steps where you're, uh, how do I explain it? You start, with, you start with a bubble on a pipe, sort of like, I guess, a piece of bubble gum on a straw. And usually you transfer it from that pipe onto the puntier pontal rod, mm -hmm. which is usually the bottom of the piece or what will be the finished bottom of the piece. And then you use... Once you transfer it, you use heat again to manipulate the end that was attached closest to the blowpipe. So you can work sort of top half, bottom half of the piece to get the shape. So right. you're always doing that dance between having one spot cold enough that it doesn't move, but hot enough that it doesn't crack and break. And then the other area, 
you're trying to get it hot enough to manipulate it and get it to move where you want it to. And how long does it take to learn that? I, and I, I, guess, I am still learning. Right. Um, depending on the glass, too. Well, and it's... So I've heard, and this is, uh, this is what I've heard, and I, that over in Europe or, or Italy, which I guess is thought Murano, which is thought of as the mecca of glass making, that it's basically from going from the apprenticeship program there or theoretical apprenticeship program is roughly about 11 years wow. um, before you can be the maestro. So put that in terms, I could be a, a GP in this country by the time I could be a, a maestro um, in Murano. I think that ballpark figure of 10 years, 10 to 11 years, to me is just enough experience to feel comfortable of doing most things. Mm -hmm. But it's like anything else. Um, I haven't made one of those tumblers in a year. Right. Um, the timing of it's still not bang on just because I haven't. It's just repetition, right? Yeah. Um, and that is something that is very much about repetition and timing. I don't play any musical instruments, but I can imagine it's sort of like a musician that, I don't know if you played classical guitar all the time and somebody asks you to play a rock and roll song, um, you can do it, but you might have to run through it a number of times just to get the timing bang on. That's sort of my thought. Just uh, wrote. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And you were saying that you, we were, you were doing a clear glass tumbler. Yep. And what are the what are the factors that would be different in in that timing and temperature? Uh, I mean, it's being clear to color. You mean? Right. Um, the difference is really it's just that colored glass tends to hold its heat differently, and because of the chemical composition of colors, they impart different characteristics to the glass. Copper and chrome will make glasses very sort of soupy. Ah. Um, so there are copper blue colors and greens that all of a sudden are, they take much less heat in the furnace to accomplish the same movement sort of thing, right? right. So that's where it's a very timing oriented thing. The other thing that can come along with colored glasses is that depending on the color that you're blowing, they're not necessarily transparent. So you can't see where your bubble is. So it is, in a sense, blowing blind. So that's where it really does come into timing, temperature. Okay, I've got to cool this spot, got to heat this spot to get the bubble to sort of go where you want the bubble to go, right? right? That tumbler, it may not have looked it, but I made sure, and if you had to watch me do the start of it, the glass furthest from the pipe, generally speaking, is the hottest. Mm -hmm. So the bubble wants to go to the hottest, most fluid spot. I want, at least in making that tumbler, I need the bottom actually to be the coldest and the thickest because mm -hmm. I want it a little thicker just for stability, center of gravity, and because I'm putting the puntier pontal rod on right. there. So I actually have to consciously cool that bottom to try and make the bottom stay a little bit thicker right. than the sides with some of the colors if you're blowing you, literally you can't see any of that um, so it's all by feels I shouldn't say it's all by feel you can start to recognize 
Um, and you may have even noticed with that clear glass, there was a little bit more of an orangey amber color to the glass where it was hotter. Right. Than where it was colder, mm -hmm. right? So you start to... It's easier to recognize with the clear. Well, and, but you do get... Well, actually, it's interesting. The visual is harder to recognize with the clear than it is with the color. Because, I mean, if that was, a, say, like that cranberry tumbler I showed you, mm -hmm. the bottom of it would be pink cranberry color. And if I was heating up the top to open it, it would be bright orange. Oh, you can right. really see the difference in color gradation um, is temperature, right? But with the clear glass, you've got the visual of being able to see exactly where the bubble is, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I mean, it's just, once again, um, it's even, I had said to you earlier that to be efficient, you tend to make multiples of the same thing in the same day or maybe all week, all I'll make is tumblers. But I will quite often just do all clear the same day. Then the yeah. next day it may be lime green. And then the next day it may be orange because each one of those colors is going to have its own timing and rhythm to producing it down to just a couple extra seconds to, to heat it up or a couple seconds less, right? Things you don't think about if you're not in the <laughs> No, no, exactly, right? If you're not in the glass tray. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing that most people don't realize is, I mean, there's as many recipes for glasses or as chocolate chip cookies or apple pie. It's not just every glass is, glass isn't just glass is glass, right? right. I mean, there's soda lime glass, borosilica glass, lead crystal, right? And yeah. even small percentages of one of the ingredients can have a huge bearing on what happens in the workability of the glass. And it's always sort of a dance of I guess they say there's no free lunch, right? If you add, if you add one thing, it, you're going to compromise something else, right? right? But I use a base glass, which is a soda lime glass, lead-free. It's got a very specific linear expansion coefficient. That just means the amount that it moves yep. back and forth over a temperature range. Um, but therein lies another issue. I mean, that, that pair... The red, the black, and the majority of this is clear. Every one of those glasses has to stretch the same amount. Right. So those glasses are very specific, too. Um, and they come from either, the color glasses come from manufacturers either in Germany or New Zealand that are sort of niche market to match the clear glass that I use. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't just say, oh, there's a beautiful green wine bottle out there, let's just crush it up and, and use it, um, it won't be what's called compatible or fit um, with my glass. It would literally right. just crack and break. Right. Yeah. It's just shatter. Yeah. Um, here's a question for you. Uh, so when, you, when you're making something, like some of your work has a couple of colors or stripes in it or whatever, how yep. does that, how that do done. you get them to work together if they're practice, not practice 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 yeah well so i guess the one thing i didn't say to you and it might i mean at times it can be hard to understand um, but also easy to understand my furnace is full of molten clear glass and i will add my colored glasses to it as i work right and those colored glasses i can get in a bunch of different forms i can show you i mean i've got a bag over there where um this pair, the coloration to it, and if you look at it, is sort of modeled. 
Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's made with a pulverized glass that's about the consistency of salt or sugar. And that is rolled, that's all clear glass, and then I roll that clear glass over top of that red glass that speckles it and then melt it in, right? right. So it gives the pears a bit of a visual skin-like or rind-like texture. Yeah. Now, if I want to do a red bowl that's nice, homogeneous, I guess I don't have a red one here, but that green one, yeah. I would start with, this is a colored glass here in rod or bar form. I would cut a piece of this off. I would preheat it um, in my one oven here. I'd pick it up on the end of my blowpipe. I would shape it symmetrically, and then I would gather clear glass over top of that. And then as I blow, the bubble's going to start in through the colored glass and push that colored glass into the volume of clear glass. Um, in the glass making world, it's called a flash color. So it has a very thin layer of colored glass surrounded by clear. Mm -hmm. That gives you a very homogeneous effect. So, I mean, that green bowl, in reality, if you were to cut it um, in half or in section, the majority of it is going to be clear, clear. glass with a very thin layer of colored glass. Interesting. Um, then you can get any permutation in between mm -hmm. where I can get chunks the size of nickels or like aquarium gravel, and they will all impart a different visual effect. And there's no reason why you can't put any of these colors on any layer or gather, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be at the start. It doesn't have to be at the end. It can be in any multiple layer along the way because mm -hmm. these are just building up layers one on top of the other. That's, I think, simple terms. And so all of these pieces here are just built up in layers from the inside right. out, one on top of the other. Yeah. And so the larger the piece, the more layers. You don't necessarily have to manipulate any of those layers and if you don't manipulate any of those layers like there's actually three layers in there and that's just a clear a clear piece you can't see where one layer stops and the next one starts as long as it's done properly right yeah um, but I could have put some colored glass on the first layer got another layer over top and then another layer and then another color right and you yeah. can just see whatever layer you um, yeah it's all magic to me. I've well, I mean, it still is to me a lot yeah. of it. And I think that's part of what got me into it because it is like, I, as I said, it's been almost 32 years since I made my first piece of glass and I could still go into a glass shop and watch a, a glass blower all day long, right? Yeah. Um, there is something coolly magical about um, working with glass. The one thing you may not have noticed, and I... I should show you is that glass is about like liquid honey when it comes out of the furnace. And really? So for you to see me gather it or an experienced glass blower gather it, um, it doesn't look like that, right? I mean, it, yeah, it is about like liquid honey. I could let, take a gather, I could let it, and I could drizzle it off the end of the pipe just like honey comes off of one of those little honey sticks. And it is roughly about the same consistency as a, as a honey. As honey. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. 
If you're just joining us, this is Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and this episode we are in Wellington in Prince Edward County, speaking with glassblower Mark Armstrong of Armstrong Glassworks. How did you end up here in Wellington in this beautiful studio? Well, that came out from the transition, as I said, with a business partner back in 93. We actually, our first shop, or my first shop, that within partnership with Ian, was um, in Bloomfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in Wellington now for 18 years, um, so I actually, when he was getting out of the business, we sold the property that we had purchased way back when. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a glass blower again or not, go through all of that time, energy, setting up a shop. I had three young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always thought this property was kind of cool because this is an old feed mill or grist mill, the the buildings behind. So I'd always, I guess maybe it was the architecture background in me or whatever, just sort of thought it was a cool place, found out that it was for sale and lo and behold, it's sort of the, I think probably the, almost the perfect situation because I live a kilometer away from here. Um... Because my wife and I had talked about, I mean, it would be nice to have one mortgage, one gas bill, one electric bill, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if I had my shop at my home, um, I'd be too married to the business sort of thing. I'm over here often enough as is. So yeah, so that, I guess, ended up in Wellington long before it was supposedly the hip place to be, right? <laughs> so, it sure is the hip place um, to be. That, that's what they tell me. So, um, yeah. That's funny. It's a lovely, it's a lovely little town. I mean, especially now you can park. Oh yeah, no, and so <laughs> don't even get, don't get me started on, on all of that. No, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful little village in the proximity to the water right there and the beach and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. The summertime, I'll be honest, and I'm of two minds of it. Um, because, I mean, in theory, it should be good for business mm-hmm. or better for business. But I think we're losing a little sense of community right. with the bus- busyness, right? So yeah. I'm a little bit of a, it's got to be a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. So. yeah. One of my favorite questions for anyone is always, is there a tool, one tool that you just couldn't live without? This thing makes my life so easy or is so amazing because... I mean, obviously, the, I mean, the real obvious one is the blowpipe. Right. That's yes. just way too obvious. But yeah. in thinking about it, the reality is probably those things called jacks. So that was a tool that you first saw me using that I was squeezing oh, yeah. down that neck. They look like a big pair of tweezers. Yeah. But then they're also used for shaping. I mean, I was keeping things on center with them. I was yeah. opening them up. I mean, I don't know how you could blow glass without. So right. I would say those things called jacks. I have no idea why they're called jacks. Probably some good story. They're probably. <laughs> Europe. Murano. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, though, I, I guess that would be the tool that you can't live without. Can't live without. Because um, I think everything else down there that I use or that you saw me is doable in some other fashion. You saw me use that thing. It's called a sofietta um, or a puffer. That's yes. the thing that I stuck inside the opening. I blew and it inflated it a little bit. Well, you can do that with a piece of wood that's tapered, that's wet. Mm-hmm. And the steam, the heat from the glass itself creates steam and it inflates. It's called a steam stick. Oh, interesting. Right. So there's other things that you can do um, with other 
there's quite often another option, right? Right. Um, for a lot of those things. Anyhow. Right. That's interesting. Uh, uh, biggest challenge in your work? Biggest challenge. I mean, I'm just, and I don't think it's just for me. I think just in the world of art and craft is just making a living, right? Yeah. And it's not, I wish I could say it's as, as utopian as I'd like it to be where mm. I just come in here and go, oh, I feel like Red Bull Day or, but no, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been like that. I mean, I certainly love glass as a material, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, somebody said to me once, once you get paid, it's a job. So you have to start thinking like there's, I'm trying to think if I actually personally know any glass blowers that make and do whatever they want to and make a living doing it. Right. And I actually don't know other than saying they make glass as a whole. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there certainly are a few in the world, but I mean, not that I, not that I know. So. Right. Uh, what's the most fun part? Well, I mean, I do think, I think being my own boss is as much as I can gripe about it um, at times. Yeah, I probably, I mean, I get to decide what to do, when to do it, et cetera, et cetera. I love glass as a material, so I'm fortunate that I've been able to make a living doing something that, I mean, I enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that say to me, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing for a living, right? So I've been very fortunate in a, for a variety of reasons that have got me down this path that I can, 30 years later, I'm still doing this, right? Right. Um, and how about in the process of making? Are there specific challenges that is like... Um, I'm going to say challenge-wise, it's, I mean, challenges and what's my favorite thing? It's something new. Whatever right. is new, yes. right? Um, That's I mean, a common it, answer. <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, that's it. And I think with the world of glass, I mean, there's so many possibilities, right? I mean, there's not enough hours in the day for everything that's twirling around yeah. in my little brain of what I would like to make, right? Right. So, I mean, that's probably one thing, that's probably one of the things that brings you back, but it's one of the most challenging things too, is trying to sort all that out and trying to make and trying to make a living doing it and sorting it out. I think I said earlier about after a career this long, what do you delete? What don't you delete? Do yeah. you take a chance of making this and not making that? Um, I sat and thought about it the other day. Um, if I won the lottery, I mean, I know my life wouldn't change much, uh, but, and I would still be blowing glass, mm -hmm. but there's probably only about three things in here that I would still be making making you would go off in a different direction yeah i would do the stuff that i probably just don't have the nerve to take the chance to do that whether is it going to be saleable or not saleable um things like that right, right. so right. and i'm going to guess that's what a lot of artists crafts people struggle with right yeah i mean having studied architecture i'd love to do some large installation pieces but I mean I think it's the catch-22 until you have one on your resume people probably aren't going to take the chance on you right right and when you're young and have three kids and a stay-at-home mom um, are you going to spend six months making a piece of work on the hopes that somebody's going to buy it probably not yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah. Such a so chicken and the egg right yeah yeah no exactly not yeah. to say that it's good bad or or, or indifferent. Um, it's just, I think if I won the lottery, as I said, there's a 
few things that I would do differently. Yeah. But it would still be in the glass field. So. Which is amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. It, it, as I said, I'm fortunate that I still that there's that much that's intriguing and captivating about the material to mm -hmm. to want to. Right. I can't ever see myself probably not making things like I can't see myself necessarily retiring it's always going to be puttering doing something I'm sure yeah so and you teach you teach or you do? I do a little bit not a lot teaching is hard I can't at, even at least, imagine teaching with this, this. Um, it's hard and it, it yeah it takes a lot of energy to do it I have over the years I have done it um, the odd person I do do it for, I don't, there are some glass shops that advertise weekend classes Workshop and stuff or, yeah, like yeah. that. Well, I'm at the stage of trying to decide whether I do get into more of that, and that's part and parcel with an assistant that's in here. The flip side is I can make, the, the sad thing about blowing glasses, and it's an expensive proposition, not just equipment, ongoing costs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, so what you actually have to charge somebody, it makes it hard to be affordable to them. Yeah. And I have sort of found what is affordable to most people, I can make more product in a day by a long shot than what people are willing to pay me to teach. So yeah, it's it's a bit of that catch-22. The flip side of it now is with my, my well, me, I'm not sure now, certainly starting out i mean my dream job would have been able to be able to teach this and make a reasonable living but there's only about half a dozen jobs in canada to do that in an institution right, right. where you're actually getting a paycheck yeah so. and you're not paying for the propane and the materials and the, yeah. yeah no exactly yeah. right yeah so where can people find your work other than in your shop here in wellington that's getting to be a, I shouldn't say that's the only spot, but now I, and this is where life has changed partially as the county has changed and, but as the world has changed, I mean, going back 25 years ago, I mean, I might've dealt with 30, 40, 50 different galleries really? um, all over North America. Now it's down to only, I'm going to say, yeah, I, half a dozen. Um, I'm saying the same thing. It's, it's more it's... it's more retail. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate that um, the county has changed a little bit that way. Um, I guess I'm fortunate also that people, if I'm blowing glass, you're welcome to watch, right? I mean, that's why there's chairs down in the shop. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it is a little bit. It's a cool process to watch, so that may bring more people here. Um, I'm trying. There's a. I deal with the art gallery in Burlington because that's where I grew up. Right. There's a couple of places in Toronto: Sandra Ainsley Gallery, Petroff Gallery, um, a couple places around. But um, I'm fortunate. It's a nice problem to have. I come September, October. I don't have much inventory in here, yeah. so I also can't afford to be shipping stuff out to to other places. Which is great. Um, so yeah, no, it's a yeah. A nice and, problem to have. And are you on the studio tour in the fall? Yep, yep, studio tour. I am actually, I'll have to toot my own horn here. I think last year I was the only person that had survived the 25 years from the initiation or the inaugural studio tour 25 years really? ago. Really? Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the color of my hair, right? So, yeah, so I think this is number 20, year 26 or 26 studio tour for me. Right. Um, 
And is there just the one studio, the fall studio? There's all, yeah, that's all there is. I mean, there's been the Arts Trail. Right, um, Arts Trail. Has been the other thing that um, that some people, I think, maybe get confused with right. potentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's only there's only been, well, I shouldn't say it's the only studio tour in the county because there is, I think for the last 10 years, there's been what's called the Redner'sville Road. Oh. Studio tour, which just runs on the the north end of the county on Redmersville right. Road. Oh, and I uh, I know uh, Black River is doing a little a little studio tour starts starting out this year. Oh, are they? Okay, yeah. okay. Because yeah. I mean, there are starting to be more and more little communities of Actually, artists it's, and. It's and not stuff. even just a studio tour because, like Vicky's Veggies, she's doing her seedling sale. Yeah, and, no, know, and I know a few people down there. I mean, Morrison Point yeah. uh, Road the. Andrew and his bees and, and yeah. Conrad yeah, and, and their B and B. Yeah. Yeah. Conrad yeah. was a big Conrad, yeah. 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 Impetus. Yeah. <laughs> and can people find you do you have a website? Yeah, it's uh armstrongglassworks dot com. I mean Excellent. it's long long to punch in, but uh, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, pretty generic website, but uh, uh it's got a nice little sampling of your well, work. It's, well thank it does. you. It does. Um, it is a little bit better. I do find people, it's always nicer to just be hands-on and touch and feel. And I actually encourage people in here as much as sometimes people get mortified about touching the glass. I think glass is a lot more tactile than we give it credit, right? Yeah. And I don't know what you picked up or didn't in here or touch, but there's things that weigh more than you expect them to oh, weigh. Like the and pairs, there's things right? that are... are yeah. yeah, and things that are lighter than you expect them to be. And I think those tumblers quite often people they're Super they're lighter light. than than people expect them to be, right? Yeah. So so yeah. And yeah. then I mean if there was if it was a sunnier day, I mean even moving things from bright sunlight to more subdued light makes them look different. Not yeah. necessarily better or worse in one light or on a white pedestal as opposed to a black pedestal. And so I mean I'm I'm here year round. Excellent. Slogging away. Slogging away, yep. <laughs> just yep. off the main street. Well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate your time, oh, and you, also Lynn. for the demo oh, before. That was you're that welcome. was a little bit of magic. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to episode 18 of Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. Our guest this week was glassblower Mark Armstrong from Wellington in Prince Edward County. I took a lot of process photos during my visit, so don't forget to view those and check links to Armstrong Glassworks at cjai.ca/studiostories. We've got a few more interviews for you, so check back in a week for the latest episode.